This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and I'm joined by my two co hosts, Gary O'Reilly. Gary. Hi, Neil. All right. And of course, Chuck Knight. Chuck and Baby. Hey, hey, what's happening, Neil? Uh, so today we're going to talk about skepticism, something so deep to my heart in everything in this world. And at, when are you appropriately skeptic and when are you just wrong uh, and doubting everything and therefore believing nothing when there's stuff out there where there's sufficient evidence to support it? These are big questions that apply to so many walks of life. And it especially applies to the health and fitness and nutrition industry. Oh. And it was time we went there. And so Gary did some homework on this. So Gary, tell me what you put together for today. We're going to start off. We're going to engage the critical thinking and the skeptical mind uh, and then drop some numbers on you quickly. The health and fitness industry is valued at around $4 trillion. Ooh. Oh, that's, that's Ooh. nothing. Ooh. That's, right? That's light. That's right. light. Now, compa- that's that's worldwide. Is that, is, is that worldwide? That's got to be globally, yeah. $90 billion a year is spent on health club membership. So if you like a spa day so, or you want So that we can drive by the place and go, <laughs> I, I belong there. That's it. Nobody, I should have gone, gone this morning and I did Nobody didn't. sees the inside of their gym. They just point at it on the yeah. way by to someplace else. All now, right. add in $100 billion a year on dietary supplements. Now, ask yourself. How many of those products are underpinned by strong peer-reviewed evidence? And then ask yourself, oh. How many, how many of them are made of sawdust? 
Is that the next question? It's mate, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. Ask yourself, are our critical faculties still analog while we operate in a digital world with fake news, bad science, and really crappy social media? And then ask yourself, oh, you why just I... described Twitter, bro. Oh, did I? Sorry. Um, <laughs> and then ask yourself, why do we default to quick fix solutions, not just in workouts, exercise, but diets and other things. So for all of this, we need an expert. Dr. Nick Tiller, Senior Research Fellow in Exercise Physiology at Harbour UCLA Medical Center, a leading authority on physiology and pathophysiology of extreme exercise, mm. an elite level marathon runner, an ultra marathon runner, and an Ironman competitor. He's also the author of The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science, considered to be, and not by me, but by people who know these things, one of the best sports science books of all time. Please I'm skeptical of that statement. <laughs> okay, Good. stop. You okay. should be. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Nick Tiller, to Star Talk, dude. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Excellent, excellent. We need you. The world needs you. And let's see if we can milk from you as much as we possibly can for our audience, because this is very important uh, content. And so, so... Let me just start off by asking, what what was some of your, like, how did you land in this field? So I, I come from a sports science background. In the U.S., it's much more broadly kinesiology. In in UK and Europe, it's sport and exercise science. In my my first two degrees, my my undergraduate and my master's in exercise physiology, sports nutrition. And at the time, like most other people in my position, I desperately wanted to work in high performance sport. If you do a a poll. Uh, among all undergraduate students, you know, 95% of them put their hands up. They all want to work in sport. And after I graduated with my master's, this was back in about 2006, 2007, and I started to work with athletes and coaches and become more involved in the health and fitness industry, it became immediately obvious to me that all of the values that we hold so dear in terms of the scientific process, the scientific method, scientific skepticism, you know, being humble, showing humility, evidence-based practice, uh, prioritizing the process of inquiry above the conclusions, mitigating your bias. There's a, there's a, a, these are in stark contrast to what we see in health and fitness, where marketing is king and where the science really is subordinate to the marketing. So, so you, you, described the, you described principles of engagement that should apply to all branches of human inquiry. Right. right. And so and now you're saying there's a gap there in in your field. That that's 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 too bad. Well, you, you can't sell snake oil with the scientific method. <laughs> okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. But thank you for rationalizing that out. Check. <laughs> if you if you're going to pull the wall over people's eyes, you can't do real you science. Exactly. You can't do real science. <laughs> and that's the point, isn't it? Is that the the health and wellness we just said it's worth over 4 trillion dollars. You don't get this kind of valuation by, you know, following mainstream science and by tempering your conclusions. Uh, it's all about sensationalism and uh, trying to get the biggest bang for your buck. So I've been trying to bring these two worlds of critical thinking and uh, and, and the health and fitness sphere a little bit closer together. So before we get, I don't want to get, I have a tendency to get ahead of the show, but I don't want to. So I'm going to ask this in the most general way possible. Of... Uh, the amount of products on the market, knowing that many of them are bogus, is it that some of them have a very small benefit 
that is exaggerated or is it that the mo- the majority of them are just straight up bunk? Wait, but by the way, you can be bunk and still believe it works and then have it work. That's the placebo Ooh, yeah. effect, right? Ooh, what a great, great, yeah, that's right, the placebo effect. Right, right. So so can you disentangle that for us? Okay, so you're, you're describing, I guess, the difference between misinformation and disinformation. You know, somebody who who inadvertently propagates some erroneous advice against somebody who deliberately propagates uh, erroneous advice in order to you know, line their pockets. So I, to answer your question, there's a broad spectrum. So at one end of the spectrum, you, you have products that are just completely bogus. So for example, chiropractic. As, for, in terms of the disparity between the claims made for, chiro- for chiropractic and the evidence in support of those claims, the disparity is as huge there as I've ever seen for any intervention. So this thing is not based on any scientific evidence at all. I'm probably going to get emails now, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I was about to say, please send all your correspondence. We can untangle that later. Let the man get his, <laughs> right, sure. his point out. Okay, <laughs> but I'm a, you know, I point my nose in the direction of the science, as we all do, right? But, but then it, at the other kind of end of the spectrum, you have products where the plausible claims are intertwined with the implausible. So, for example, I'm doing a talk this weekend about pseudoscience in distance running at the, the London Marathon Conference, and one of the products that are often that, that, that are often sold to runners are massage guns. You know, these these things you can hold and you push them into the muscle, and it helps to release muscle pain and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, they say that it can reduce muscle soreness and reduce scar tissue and help with you know pain in the muscle and this kind of thing. But these same vendors say that it can cure diabetes, that it can that it can reduce inflammation, that it uh, the, the the claim that I love the best is that it can it can uh, help with high blood pressure and low blood pressure. Mm. It can't do, how can it, yeah, how can it do both? both right? right. So you've got to mm-hmm. pick one. So um, and you know things like yoga. Yoga is really effective and and it's a brilliant exercise to do for all sorts of different things. Um, but the the plausible claims are often intertwined with implausible claims like, you know, healing and improving energy flow and this kind of thing, which don't conform to what we know about how the world works. So there's a, there's a broad spectrum of things. Okay. Wow. Well, wait, wait, tell me, wait, wait, wait. Tell me about the placebo then. So so let let it let it be sugar pills, but I think it works. And then in some cases, it works. So how does where does the placebo land in your skeptics portfolio? And this is a, a huge gray area because I get asked this a lot. It's, it comes down to the essence of what's the harm, right? And, and particularly in mm. high-performance sport, if an athlete tries an intervention that we know only works in the context of placebo, so that's expectation and belief, then placebo has very powerful psychobiological effects. If an athlete believes that they're feeling a little bit you know, less pain or that their inflammation has been reduced or that they can run a bit faster, jump a little bit higher, this is... This is very important for the athlete, especially when you consider marginal gains where every 1%, every 0.1% counts. The difference between gold and silver is, you know, infinitesimally small. So, so every kind of advantage that the athlete can get is worthwhile. The problem that we have is that it's impossible to restrict placebo products to just sports performance and health and fitness and wellness if somebody really believes in the pain relieving or the healing properties of this placebo, it's only going to be a matter of time before they try and use it to treat something that requires an actual medical intervention. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a bacterial infection, there's a good chance you're going to need antibiotics. You know, treating it with some kind of naturopathic remedy 
isn't going to do, and that the scientific literature and the and in the media as well are littered with very tragic examples of people trying to treat real medical ailments with placebo medicine, and so that's when it bleeds into mainstream practice, clinical practice, and it can have ad- adverse. So, so what you're saying is the placebo, whatever power of mind you have over body, that there's a limit where the placebo effect just goes away. If I break a bone, I, I can't take a placebo and have the bone repair itself, for example. So clearly there's a crossover point from one to the other. Gary, we however, haven't let you talk however, yet. I'm sorry, Gary. I no, just want ahead. to very quickly say on to, to the end of your point there, Neil, but your bones are not healed by cast. Your body heals your bones. Good point. And Good point. so, mm. uh, and same with the placebo, sometimes... Uh, just left to your own devices, in certain cases, your body will heal itself. Uh, I have a friend who had COVID, went into the hospital, and demanded hydroxychloroquine. I'm not sure if they gave him that or not. I'm not sure if they gave him that or not. But he is under the impression that they did, and he got better. But he was going to get better. Yeah. (laughs) Period. Wait, wait, did he go to a horse doctor? Or did he go to... (laughs) Was this Mr. Ed? What are you talking about here? I I forgot to say, uh, he he also ran in the Kentucky Derby (laughs) shortly after. So, Doctor, in the the intro, I said that our critical faculties are kind of set on analog while we exist in this 21st century digital age. Why why are our critical faculties kind of ill-equipped to handle this modern marketing? What is going on that we just can't, flip a switch and see the emperor's new clothes aren't really there. Right, and, and it really comes down to when you, when you think about the way that human logic and reason has evolved over time to, to make decisions in, you know, in terms of the decision-making process. So we evolved logic and reason for navigating hypersocial groups, for predicting patterns in the environment. You know? mm-hmm. So whether it's predicting the, the weather patterns or the migration, migrating patterns of animals, because these things served us an evolutionary survival advantage. So evolutionary pressure has, has made sure that these traits have been passed on. And, uh, but, but human genes and human lives are now incongruent when you look at the dramatic change in our environment just in the last 50 years since the advent of the internet, particularly social media. We have not evolved logic and reason and critical faculties to deal with bad science commercialism, social media, fake news, and all of these things, um, and, and rampant capitalism and commercialism, which is really, uh, the whole point of this is to exploit our pre-existing biases, right? To get us to, to make purchases that we don't necessarily need. So, so that's so, what I So mean. the herd, we can't, so we can track herds, but there aren't any herds left. <laughs> to, 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 to right, track. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. We've, we've evolved these skills which once served a survival advantage, but the world has changed a lot. But and our genes haven't changed dramatically. And you right. could you could say that our that our our ability to you know update our our underlying genetics is kind of lacking uh, lagging behind the the rapidity the speed with which the environment is changing. But I'm I'm going to say that we've never been good at it. To be honest, I'm just going to go a, a step further. That our brains, although uh, adept at recognizing patterns have never been good at really recognizing the true underpinnings or underlying reasons for those patterns. What we've been able to do is identify them. And, that, and science actually gets to the reason behind things. 
And that's where the disconnect is. Chuck, the problem is in the simplest case I know of, and Nick can back me up on this if, if I get it right, that if you are in the if you're in the plains of Africa and you think you see a lion in the bushes, right, and then you run and away, you run, you right. live to see another day. If you, if you if investigate, if you well, no, this that's what kills curiosity. That's why people aren't curious. You say, oh, I wonder if that's a lion. Let me go Ooh, find out. Hey. Right? Okay. Yeah. But no, but, that, but he, that, that's why there were no white people in Africa. We had to wait until we came out of Africa. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> No, because they were just like, hey, what's that? <laughs> curious. What, right? okay. what do you think uh, that oh, is? <laughs> no, my point is, if it is, a, if it is a lion, you live to say another day. Right. If it's not a lion and you walk away, you live another day. Right. If you don't think it's a lion and it is a lion, you're, you're done for. Right. So, so, Nick, there's some sense of pattern recognition that I, I, I think is completely understandable for our survival, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that pat pattern recognition, like you say, is, is the kind of thing that has kept us alive. And the people, and the, the, our, our distant ancestors that were good at spotting these patterns, they lived a little bit longer. They were able to have offspring, propagate their genes and so forth. But the type of patterns that we need to recognize in, in today's society have changed. You know, we, we, we are, we've evolved with these heuristics, these mental shortcuts, which give us vague approximations of the truth. But, but these, these vague approximations can also be inaccurate. We, it can lead us to inaccurate conclusions. Mm -hmm. and, and they can be marketing hijacked. companies can exactly yeah. they can be hijacked exactly. Right. So You're so right. okay, so the, the the modern version of being able to identify a lion and therefore altering our critical faculties would be improved personal science lit literacy. Am I right? Yeah, but that only works, Gary, if for not having done so, you die and don't have any offspring. Well, right. no, we're That's not. The only way that I mean, can I don't. I don't think people are dying from dietary supplements or a fad diet or or right. You know, so sort of, I don't know that there's evolutionary force to change it. Nick, what do you think? Well, on a macro scale, probably not. But it comes at its core. We're talking about Bertrand Russell's point about how intuition is really important, but intuition must be tempered by intellect. Intuition versus intellect. And now, in in, in the modern age, we have the tools and the technologies and the intellect to be able to determine the difference between science and pseudoscience, between information and misinformation. But just like, like the record show, this is the first time in StarTalk's 13-year history that Bertrand Russell was mentioned. <laughs> okay. Really, that right. can't be. Nick. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it is totally the case. Wow. Uh, Bertrand Russell, a, a, um, a, a philosopher, mathematician, a brilliant guy. Uh, I have most of his books. And... Uh, at turn of the century into the 20th century. So he's a good guy. Very thoughtful, very deep well, thinker. And his book on mysticism and logic, I mean, it's, a, it's an essay, but he describes this battle between intuition and intellect. And the point is, we now have these skills, we now have the intellectual skills to be able to apply the scientific method and determine if things are, are real or fake, and we're not using it as well as we could be using it. And that's of very course, frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah, so, you do what it, it feels it, right. Yeah, uh -huh. it, you, yeah. Uh -huh. So where do you see it, Doctor? If we leave pseudoscience unchecked, where which rabbit hole does it drag us down? How, how harmful or harmless is it? Yeah. Mm. Well, as I said, it's impossible to... If, if an athlete... Okay, we bring it back to the, the sports metaphor. And if an athlete uses a supplement or they use cupping therapy, okay, we use Michael Phelps, 
I always come back to Michael Phelps and cupping because it's shooting fish in a barrel. But uh, Michael Phelps, the most successful athlete, not just the most successful swimmer, but the most successful Olympic athlete of all mm -hmm. time, given all his medal haul. And he came out of the Rio 2016 Games with big circular bruises all over his back and shoulders. I thought those were hickeys. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> he wishes. He probably had those as well, but we didn't oh, see them. Okay. So, and this is the result of an ancient Chinese therapy known as cupping, and it's, it's widely considered to be a, a pseudoscience. There's no real you know, underpinning mechanism for it, and it's widely discredited by scientists. And he uses it to mitigate muscle soreness, as a lot of athletes, a lot of swimmers now use it, surprisingly. And this propagated into the mainstream culture. If you look at the number of Wikipedia searches for cupping therapy, they reached an all-time high at about a couple of hundred thousand hits a day immediately after the Rio 2016 Games when Phelps appeared on live TV at the swimming finals. So he uses it to treat muscle soreness. But there are some societies that say the cupping therapy can be used to treat asthma and asthmatic symptoms, right? We're getting we're a little bit on thin ice here, when, and I strongly, I strongly recommend that you don't use cupping therapy to treat your asthmatic symptoms. So this is the real harm that, that can be done. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with whatstheharm.net, which has documented nearly 400,000 cases of people who have sadly lost their lives because they tried to use alternative therapies to treat something that needed a real intervention. Did not know and about that website. What's the harm.net? What's the harm.net? Yeah, they've done all the heavy lifting and you can search by different alternative therapies. And so, uh, so this would be harm that the medicine, that the purported medicine did to you, or the harm that was not cured by the medicine and then it left, was left unchecked leading to the death of the patient. It's actually you, both, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's specifically alternative medicine, which has a, it does have a, a specific definition, uh, which is, is not, not conforming to what we know as mainstream science or mainstream medicine. And, and, and athletes need to understand that they have, they already know they have huge influence upon mainstream society. Yes, of course. Yeah. And oh, yeah. they are pioneering population trends in the use of CAM, unsurprisingly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. CAM being? Complementary and alternative medicine. So things like oh, cupping, thank you. Uh, acupuncture, Reiki, whatever, whatever it happens to be. So guys, you got to take a quick break. But All when right. we come back, Dr. Nick Tiller, he's going to give us the top six myths in the health and fitness industry. You want to be there for that. All right. Mm -hmm. On Star Talk Sports Edition. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. 
And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops Driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk. Code startalk. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. We're with Dr. Nick Tiller, UCLA Medical Center. For this segment, apparently, Nick, you've got a list of six, six bits of fiction, inaccuracies, falsehoods. So I've got the list here. Let's start with number one. The fact that people think that there's a simple solution to complex problems and challenges in our lives. So what's up with that, Nick? The health and wellness industry, health and fitness industry, is based on this idea that there are simple solutions to complex problems. So whatever your health and wellness, health and fitness goal happens to be, there is a product, a supplement, a fad diet, an exercise program, a, a garment that you can buy that will expedite you to your health and wellness goals. Because And people love this idea for the reasons that we spoke about in the last segment, You know that we've, that we've evolved for the quick fix, we've evolved for, to take these shortcuts. People love the idea that you can expedite these things that otherwise would take a lot of time and effort to it's not just physiology. I remember uh, I, I even tweeted this once because it reached that level where you, 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 have, you dine at someone's house and the food is amazing. The mm -hmm. food is amazing. And so you ask the, the person who prepared the meal, what's your secret in this dish? Well, the secret is six years of culinary study and a, right. and, and a, right. and a master's degree in you know, mm -hmm. world herbs or something. That's the secret. They don't want to hear that. They want to know there's just one thing you did that turned it, something ordinary into something amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it seems What's like... What's your it's, secret? Cumin. It's cumin. 
put it on everything. <laughs> so I interrupted, uh, Nick, go on. No, I, I said it's a really important point because I, I often, I talk about this stuff on, and particularly health and wellness, but health and wellness is just the medium to discuss these, these broader implications of critical thinking. But anything meaningful that, that you would like to attain, whether it's losing weight, getting in shape, learning a new instrument, learning to speak a foreign language, becoming an amazing cook, you know, becoming an astrophysicist, these things take time and effort to accomplish. It's not going to happen mm -hmm. overnight. But in health and wellness, we assume that there must be some kind of quick fix. But anything meaningful takes time and effort to accomplish. Are we just being lazy or are we trying our best to be efficient? And is that how we've kind of evolved through, through the process? Lazy is efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if you're sufficiently efficient, you have the luxury to be lazy. That's how I right. look at it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, okay. also, I mean, if you look at the way we evolved, I mean, we didn't evolve getting up and going to, you know, get coffee. And we evolved hunter-gathering, you know, mm -hmm. dramatic. Mm -hmm. Like, we had to walk long distances. We set up camp every night. You had to gather your food in the morning. You had to go on long distances to kill something and drag it back to the people. And so conservation of energy is very important to us as a species. And Chuck, we I didn't know you really wanted to narrate a nature documentary. This is important. This is the balance between calorific expenditure and calorific gain from when, oh, I didn't, whatever you I didn't know I was in. saying that. I didn't realize I was saying it up. What did you call it? <laughs> well, okay, so it's the balance between the calories you expend going hunting and gathering and the calories you gain to bring back to eat. So, right, right. So How many calories does it take you to, to obtain the calorie hmm. that you consumed? So, and, Nick, oh, it's like, more than the, if it's more than yeah. you consume, you go extinct. Nick, weren't there studies done with chimpanzees where they placed certain foodstuffs in certain different locations and then the chimpanzees worked out strategies to be more efficient? Am I, am I right with that? very good. I had that in my mind. I was just going to mention that anyway. So you're one step ahead of me. I, I love it. Uh, yeah, so they, they've done studies where they, they got groups of chimpanzees and they showed them, they packaged almonds up in, in different quantities and uh, some were packaged a little bit more uh, efficiently than others. And then they buried them in different parts of this open field. They showed the chimpanzees where they were. And then they just let them loose. And the, and the chimpanzees went and sought them out in the order that, that would give them the greatest payoffs. So basically to save as much energy as possible. So this, there's, there's a very clear evolutionary advantage to saving energy, to saving calories, particularly because we, we were never assured of our next meal, particularly during the winter, you know, when the, mm. when the, the berries and the, the vegetation, you know, died away. And you, were never, you were never sure when you were going to get your next bonus of calories. So, so that kind of economy is, is really, we're hardwired for that economy. Okay, before we go to the, the fiction number two, uh, quickly, which, which area of health and fitness is, do you find that people are most uh, seeking the quick fix? Probably nutrition, particularly supplementation. People love the idea that there is a pill. I mean, this is if you boil it down to the, the simplest, the easiest way to expedite health and wellness, there's a pill that you can take that's going to give yeah. you six-pack abs. And make, yes. make it all good. Chuck's buying. Chuck's yes. buying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We want that pill. <laughs> what exactly. what is Tell me the pill. He's on the Amazon the website the already. <laughs> well, yeah. The, the irony is that if you, um, 
that if you had a pill that could reduce your, you know, a single pill that could reduce your body fat percentage and could increase your glucose control and your insulin mm. sensitivity and could reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease, reduce your risk of type 2 diabetes, it could make you fitter and, and, and make your muscles yeah, Beautiful stronger. and more handsome, yes. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> Give you more energy, reduce your, you know, your, uh, improve your mental health. The, the inventor of that pill would win a Nobel Prize. The oh, reality shit. is that exercise does all of those things. If you can just do regular exercise, it gives you all of those advantages. But doing exercise takes time and it takes effort. And you get sweaty. Well, that takes us to fiction number two, that everyone presumes that weight management depends on your exercise level. And, but that can't be true because we know this Ozempic, this, this, um, diabetes medicine that Mm. people, rich people are taking where it just curbs their appetite and they're dropping a pound a week. So, So Nick, tell me about, uh, weight loss. This one is frustrating for me as, as an exercise scientist, and people still think that I'm a, a PE teacher, you know, they, despite, that's nothing wrong with being a PE teacher, but I'm not one. But they, they're constantly asking me for training advice and this kind of thing. But, but this one's frustrating because people are often very well-intentioned. They want to lose weight and get in shape. Mm. And so they start exercising regularly. Maybe they start going to the gym. But if you're previously sedentary, so, you, so you're pretty much sitting around all day, you've got a sedentary job, and then you start being physically active. Let's say you go to the gym three times a week. Most people would, would uh, agree that that's a reasonable place to start. That shows reasonable commitment. But if we actually look at, if we do some basic math and, and have an, you know, estimate how many calories people are burning when they go to the gym, mm. by the time they've warmed up, they do a bit of cardio, they lift some weights, they're checking their phone in between their resistance sessions. If we're being generous, they might burn 500 calories in a given gym session. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's going to depend cup, two on cupcakes. your body mass. Two right. cupcakes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you do it three times a week, 1,500 calories. You reward yourself by going out for a pizza, 3,000 calories. <laughs> I want a milkshake. <laughs> I worked hard yeah. today. <laughs> right. And, and there's this uh, well-known phenomenon called the compensation effect where people think, well, I've been good. I've been to the gym. I, I, you know, I've, I've been working out so I'll, I can have that extra slice of pizza or I can have that extra dessert. And then they, do, they undo all of the good that they've been working towards the whole week. So the point is, we have to get our eating figured out. If, you, if people want to get in shape, particularly losing body fat, just going out and, and exercising is not enough. It's good for your cardiovascular health and for muscle strength, but it, it, 80% comes down to eating. I really like what you said with the, uh, if you had a pill that could do all these things, uh, you get a Nobel Prize, or you could just exercise and do it diligently in a way that works for you. So if we are basing this as a balanced process, what sort of exercise regime does a person need to go through? You know, are we looking, you've got to burn 2,000 calories while you're in the gym. Is it 3,000 calories? So as you can enjoy a meal that you actually will enjoy rather than just sitting there looking at stuff and thinking, I hate this and I hate myself for doing this. Unless you're a professional athlete, which you, you of course, you, you know, you, you work, Gary, um, and, or unless you're training for mm. ultra endurance exercise, the number of calories that you burn during training is, we, we, we always say you can't outrun a bad diet. So it doesn't matter mm. how, how many training sessions that you're doing. I like that. Key, you can't outrun a bad diet. You can't outrun a cheeseburger. You can't outrun the cheeseburger. It doesn't matter how many times a week you train for most normal people. So what we have to do is just eat well 95% of the time, which, you know, it can be done. It doesn't mean you can't ever eat your dessert. It doesn't mean you can't ever eat your pizza. But, it, mm. that, but, but if you're going to 
Five Guys on a Tuesday lunchtime, that's that's not the way that's not the way to go. And the, the local Five Guys for me has, has lines of people out there every single lunchtime. So we, we've got to try and eat well most of the time so that we can enjoy it when we don't. And we, we've got to get our activity levels up. Just so be put more some active. numbers on this. How many? What's an average um, calorie needs of a human being? Uh, for for a, I mean the very approximate very approximate yeah, very, yes, very, very would be for a, a, a male two and a half thousand calories a day for a female about two thousand calories depending okay, on okay so two thousand plus a day and uh, how many calories are in a McDonald's quarter pounder or Big yeah. Mac five thousand five thousand <laughs> probably the, the the meal I would guess about two thousand but I haven't looked it up but. It, it's, uh, it's not okay. So when when the, the the cheeseburger, the big cheeseburger or the double cheeseburger with the French fries and a soft drink and and all of that, that's that's almost all of the calorie needs that you have in a day, right? Okay, well, there you have it. So you know, there it is on, on McDonald's days. That's all you get. That's all you get. <laughs> well, and and, and to, enjoy it, right? And to, to go one step further, people often will, will will train really hard and they'll eat really well and they'll have one day a week, which is they'll have a cheat meal which mm. I don't like the terminology because it implies that you're doing something wrong, and I don't like that at all. But their cheat meal will last six hours, and they'll, they'll consume about 8,000 calories. <laughs> so you know, that's, kind of, that's not the way to do it either. It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah Thanksgiving I, dinner can't be a right? cheat meal. Right, yeah. exactly. Right. All right. So uh, uh, fiction number three, that dietary supplements, which are all very highly priced, are something that is essential to your health. So what's up with that? I'm often asked, what are the dietary supplements that don't work? You know, uh, can you, can you <laughs> give us a quick short list? And I always ask, you know, I, you should be reframing that. What are the supplements that work? Because there are probably five or six that have a good evidence base, and the, the other, you know, tens of thousands really uh, don't work in the way that, that it's claimed. Uh, the, wait, wait uh, Nick, they're natural. Nick. Right, exactly. The, Come on now. Is always better, right? They're natural. Natural anything that's, better. anything that's natural must must be better. So, right. And the International Society of Sports Nutrition published a couple of years ago a pretty big review article where they very articulately stated the evidence for the supplements that work, and there were there were five of them, and there are something like twenty thousand or more dietary supplements on sale just in the United States. So uh, the vast majority of them don't work, and even the ones that do work might provide you with a small benefit, maybe you know, up to 3% performance enhancement, but the rest of them really don't, don't work in the way that it's claimed. And what are they, what, those that work, what are they doing to you? Is it just extra vitamins? Is it throwing a dose of caffeine to pump you up? Like, what are they doing if they work at all? It, it varies. So caffeine is one of the supplements that works. We know that it's a, right. that it's a potent stimulant. It, it increases your concentration, your attention, your reaction time. It also works at the level of the muscle to increase the strength of muscle contraction. So caffeine is one of them. Creatine, for example, is another one that, that can improve oh. the, the rate at which you recover from high-intensity efforts. There's decades of research showing that, that that's very beneficial. Uh, others, you know, like um, protein, for, uh, as, as, a, uh, as an example, if we take protein, we don't need protein supplements, but if we are struggling to meet our protein demands because we have a very active lifestyle, then taking a protein supplement to make sure that you're breaking even can can be beneficial to help you know with muscle recovery. This or if you're an underinformed vegetarian and don't otherwise know where to get your protein. Right, exactly. But, Nothing yeah, wrong with being yeah. a vegetarian, but you've got to be a little bit more considerate with where you're getting your calories and how mm -hmm. you're meeting your protein requirements. So, so, so um, if, all, if, if most don't work, who's regulating the market? 
What? Who's who's looking over at their shoulders? That's the beauty of it, man. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, That's, right. okay. There is no okay. FDA requirement for supplements, okay. which means right. we can make money. So I say... Wait, we, wait, no. It's got to be, be... Wait, Nick. So they are being ingested. So were they tested in some other context and found to be safe? And therefore, they just get all the safe stuff, put it together, and, and make claims for it? So that the claims are not FDA tested, even if the substance is. Yeah, so you're both 50% right. So the, the, <laughs> FDA, the FDA are supposed to be doing this. Uh, the FDA are supposed to be doing a better job of this, but they're inundated with claims and they can't keep up. And they're, they're overly stringent with some things and you know, far too liberal with others. So that's part of the problem. The other thing is that the, 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 the Dietary Health Act of 2012 essentially gave power back to the supplement companies so as long as that they are produ- as long as they are producing supplements that have already gone through some kind of basic uh, screening process, they don't need to get pre-approval from the FDA. So uh-huh. a supplement can go on sale, and as long as it has within it a list of the, you know, pre pre-existing ingredients that, that are pre-approved for whatever other reason, be, right? There doesn't have mm-hmm. to be any evidence of efficacy, and they will only take it off the market if there is proven evidence of um, safety problems, if there's proven yeah. evidence of harm. So, right. which is kind of backwards, right? They should have to prove that it's safe before they put it on the market. But we're all, mm. we're all eff- effectively the guinea pigs. They'll only take it off the market if we can show that it's, uh, that it's harmful. If most of the supplements are garbage, uh, then we eat healthy. But not everybody is in a socioeconomic situation where they can constantly afford to bankroll a fresh and healthy diet. Where are we looking for our solution to that? Issue, Soylent Green. No, <laughs> and and let me let me reword Gary's question, in mm-hmm. that high calorie, tasty, salty, fatty, sugary snacks are highly avail are widely available and inexpensive, and so at some level you can ask, is there some wealth threshold above which a person can stay healthy? against the forces of the food industry that would otherwise have you eat their junk food? And let's take a break. And when we come back, Nick is going to answer that question, I think. Nick, are you? <laughs> okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> You'll do your best. All right. Uh, stay with us. We still have three more of the top six fictions that people think is actually going on with their health and physiology on Star Talk Sports Edition. We'll be right back. <laughs> Suffering from aches and pains? The all-new Tempur-Pedic Adapt Mattress eases your pressure points all night, every night. Now, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets at TempurPedic.com. Select adjustable mattress sets only. Lesser savings may apply. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently. Acapella.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. 
We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition with Dr. Nick Tiller, one of the world's leading authorities in the physiology and pathophysiology of extreme exercise, which is great. We didn't talk about that yet, but we will. Uh, while also being an ultra marathon runner himself. He happens to also be the author of The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science. And just, he's an all-around critical thinker, which the world doesn't have enough of. So we left off with dietary supplements, and I, I left you with a question, Nick. I, I was just sort of fleshing out Gary's question regarding a person's uh, economic uh, standing, where we are bombarded with very tasty, high-fat, high-sugar, processed junk food, mm -hmm. fast food, and it's so there and it's so accessible and you have to like you need higher income to live in a place where people will sell you healthy food is that have you studied the economics of this i haven't specifically studied the, the, the socioeconomics of this but if we look at the the associations of socioeconomic class with the rates of underlying health problems or the rates of oh, obesity there there's, there's, there's always a very you know close association and you hit the nail on the head there. The junk food is very cheap, and you can buy a lot of it relatively inexpensively. Whereas a nice fresh and it's high, salad, it has high food, calorie density too. It's high right. calorie density. That that sort of by the by that that sort of has the un uh, the uh, unintended or the uh, unwanted side effect of making people overweight. But the, but people buy it because it's cheap, and mm -hmm. so people who are below the poverty line are much more likely to buy the inexpensive food that happens to be very unhealthy. Than, than pick out fresh vegetables and fresh fruit and salads and things that, uh, that, that, that are going to cost them a lot more money. So, you, and it's particularly, you know, I, I lived in California for three years, which, and it's an exceptionally expensive place to live, and uh, particularly in Los Angeles. And you can go and buy your groceries week to week, and you can go and prepare your meals for yourself, but you're, you're basically paying about the same amount of money because groceries are so expensive. You'll pay about the same amount of money to go and get a takeout. And mm, so most people mm. are going prefer to get a takeout, and the the right. availability, the accessibility is is so much higher there as well. Okay, so Gary, did that address? Because I fleshed out your question. No, that it, wanna, it did. Thank you. And I, I don't want to step on it. It's yeah. just the fact. The fact is, Neil, people are getting more obese. I think the numbers, and the doctor will back me up. I think is how long we, before we get to a one in two will be clinically obese. Ooh. So if mm -hmm. people in the aren't losing, thank you. So if people aren't losing weight, and all these weight loss supplements and products are on the market, who's losing weight? The only weight being lost is out of a wallet or a, or a purse. And that's, that's just it. So it's, it's got to be a trend that has to be addressed, really. If you look at the, the profits from the, from the diet and weight loss industry, the, the, you know, that's like $70 billion a year, something like that. And those profits are now at an all-time high. The mm. rates of obesity have been trending upwards for the last couple of decades, since the 70s, really. And the rates of obesity are also at an all-time high. So there's a disconnect here between the amount of money that we're spending on weight loss and and obesity rates in the overall population. So how can those no, two Nick, things No, Nick, you got it wrong. It would be much worse without that. Maybe that's right. how you should be thinking about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> perhaps. perhaps. Well, you say that, but the, I, I guess part of the problem is that people are investing in strategies that don't work, like fad diets and supplements. So particularly with fad diets, I think it's important to touch on this very briefly. Well, we've got, we've got a fiction number four is the idea that if you don't use your muscles, they turn into fat, or if you work out, your fat turns to muscles. That's that seems patently obvious that that's not true, but that seems to relate to where you're going right now. 
Yeah, I think the two things are connected because if, if you, if you aren't exercising and, and instead you just follow a fat diet, you're going to lose weight acutely and you're going to lose weight very quickly because you're not getting in very many calories. But fad diets don't teach people how to eat healthily in a long-term sustainable way. So, so we see what's called yo-yo dieting. Somebody will lose a bit of weight, they'll eventually fall off the wagon, they'll regain. If you do one or two-year follow-up studies, people regain all of the weight that they've lost. A third of people regain more weight than they originally lost. Oh, oh. And then, and then they'll go on to another fad diet and we get this, this weight cycling. And it's, the, it's the, the yo-yoing effect that causes the greatest risk to cardiovascular health and the greatest risk of psychopathology. So it's not, it's not just, you know, gaining weight and, uh, and trying to lose weight, but it's the yo-yoing that seems to have the negative effect. So, so um, it seems like the, uh, the focus should be on a healthy diet as a lifestyle, yeah, not, yeah. not getting to a certain weight or, you know, any, any other goal except the, 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 the lifestyle itself should be the goal. Right. And, but but if, you like, say to somebody, like if you say to somebody, just, just eat well every day, I don't know, that's a, that's a big ask. If you say to somebody, just follow this diet for six weeks and you'll lose the weight, that's much more appealing. It has right. to be packaged. Now, in this modern, modern mm. society, the intervention has to be packaged and it has to be sold and it has to be commercialized. Otherwise, people don't buy into it. Uh, that's, that's the sort of paradox that we're facing. Whereas really what we need to be doing, exactly as you say, Chuck, we just need to be following good eating habits on a day-to-day basis and being, being physically active. That's the only secret. The secret is there is no secret. So what about a fiction number five where the people who are most successful on social media must really know what they're talking about if they're giving you fitness advice? <laughs> and what, what intrigues me most, and I only came to this realization recently, like weeks ago, months ago, it was if, if you're channel surfing on YouTube and you come across someone that says, everyone else thinks this is true, but it's not, I'm going to give you the real truth, right? That, that's, that's, you want to listen to that person, right? Everyone has you do that, but they're all wrong. Here's the truth. Tell us about what role social media is playing in this. I'm sort of more and more of the opinion, the more I learn about how these social media platforms work and the algorithms generate content, the more convinced I am that uh, they probably probably cause more harm than good in modern society. That's a big mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to feel that way, but I do just the way you are. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and it's not just in health and wellness. It's any time that society can be harmed by misinformation and disinformation, which we see across the spectrum, not just in health and wellness, but in politics, public health policy, and so forth. So, So this is a big problem. And social media is pervasive. Young people get most of their news and entertainment from social media. We've been moving okay, away but Nick, from it seems context. it seems to me if I have a, a if I have a weight loss gimmick fad whatever, and I have the most followers, and you can read the comment thread and say this really works, and and you look at the statistics on that, why wouldn't those with the highest followers, why isn't that alone sort of a crowdsourced vote of confidence that it works? Yeah, that's a really good point actually, and. The, the type of people that are giving this advice, you've got to, I guess it's important to look at the motives that they have. People with the most followers tend to have a lot more sponsorship, for example. So they might be selling a particular supplement or a product because they're being paid to do so. And a lot of the time, uh, you know, on Instagram, for example, you're supposed to say you're supposed to tag something as a sponsored post. 
And a lot of the time, these posts, these posts are sponsored, but they're not labeling it appropriately. So they can kind of bypass the, um, the, the rules and regulations there. And uh, a lot of the time, these things are working in the context. Sometimes they may really work. You know, we can't discount everything. We can't just be cynical. But uh, a lot of the time, these things are working in the context of placebo, and we're not able to determine the things that are really working, the things that are working just, just in our minds. So that's why the, the advice should always be judged on merit and merit alone. But aren't we into a peer pressure situation? I mean, our society now judges individuals on their number of social media followers. So you can't be right. anybody unless you've got an absolute gazillion billion load. And we've all, and we've kind of slept walked into this. I mean, an individual cannot and surely must not be judged alone on the number of media followers. And I always say that uh, social media followers are not credentials because it's sort of an appeal to authority, right? And that's why it's important to, as I said, judge the advice on merit. And if we bring it back to health and wellness or, or sport and exercise, mm. we look at the people that have the most influence on social media. They're usually high-profile athletes. And it's sad to say that somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo, who Gary will be very familiar with, but he's mm -hmm. a very famous Portuguese, Portuguese soccer player, has something like 400 million followers across various platforms. And the number of uh, products and supplements and things that he is constantly being sponsored to promote, I mean, it's endless. And so if people just were investing in, in all of the products that this guy is, uh, is getting paid to promote, uh, we, we do nothing but follow pseudoscience. So we've got to be mindful that the people that have the greatest influence are not necessarily the ones giving the good advice. Nick, you used a term, I want to make sure we're on the same page. You said uh, uh, appeal to authority. Just tell everybody what that means. So the, the, the appeal to authority uh, essentially is assuming that uh, the advice that's being given by somebody who is in seemingly in some kind of authority, authoritative position, that the advice is necessarily better or correct or true in and of itself because it's being, uh, because it's being promoted by, by this individual. So sometimes this happens in the, in the UFO world a lot where they say, this person is a three-star general and mm -hmm. listen to his testimony about the UFO. And that would be an appeal to authority, right? Right, because if, if anyone's going to know if they've seen an alien spacecraft, it's going to be a three-star general in the, <laughs> you know, in, in the RAF what or whatever. Was it, what was it Carl Sagan's quote? What is that? That extreme claims require extreme Ex evidence? Extra extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. sort of paraphrased it from, from Laplace. But yeah, essentially, mm. it's uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary, extraordinary evidence. And in health and wellness, we, we get extraordinary claims all the time, mm. but the evidence is... is, is far from extraordinary. It's very ordinary, in fact. Now let's go to our last bit of fiction. And you, you hinted at at the beginning, but I want to tease it out a little more. Let me hear why a skeptic looks at chiropractic as, are you crazy? Okay, so what, what's going on there? Well, a good scientist, a good, a good skeptic will always point their nose in the, in the direction of the research, right? In the, in the direction of the evidence. Mm. And there are lots of commercial claims for chiropractic. It's based on this idea of spinal manipulation and subluxations of the spine, although some chiropractors have tried to move away from that sort of uh, premise of treatment. It's used widely in professional sport, especially in the NFL. Mm. Something like 60 to 70% of NFL teams either have a chiropractor on their payroll or regularly refer athletes to chiropractors. Um, so how but, could they be wrong? Right, exactly. Why am I, I going to listen to you, your, your snot-nosed academic <laughs> who happened to write a little book, for the NFL... And 60% of them. Yes. Why should I listen to you at all? You elitist egghead who hates <laughs> <Right>. chiropractors. <laughs> so, so, that, so that's, that's an important point. 
and of course, when it comes to when it comes to matters of evidence-based practice, my job is to partly to interpret evidence. So I, you could say I'm a, an expert in interpreting it, in reading and interpreting and summarizing evidence. So in, there's nothing wrong with elitism in certain circumstances when, you know, if you need a surgery, you want to go to an elite surgeon. I don't think I'm the first person to say this. If you're getting on a plane, you want an elite pilot to, to take, you know, to, to take you from A to B. So when it comes to matters of public health policy, all of a sudden everyone's an expert and we, we don't have any time for the, for the, for the elites. And it's exactly the same um, with respect to health and wellness. When it comes to chiropractic, if you look at the evidence, we just mentioned Laplace and Sagan, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. If you look at the evidence and you interpret it very clearly, there is no signal for chiropractic really doing anything. And chiropractic is in, in the, it's very pervasive in, in mainstream culture. Lots of physiotherapists try this. You can get a PhD or doctorate in chiropractic. Um, but the evidence suggests that it doesn't actually do anything. Okay, so here's my mild pushback. You ready? Please. Okay. So, very mild. It's, um, you know, I've read the founding documents of chiropractic, and it is, what the, are you crazy? You know, the, the idea that practically every ailment that your body experiences can be cured by the manipulation of your spine. All right? Just read some of the early documents, and it's like, how did this ever become an entire branch of medicine? And so, so now I say, suppose the foundational ideas are all wrong, but the manipulation of the spine still has benefit, even if the founding principles are flawed. And so take, for example, I, let's say we have, I'm, a, I'm an indigenous population, and there's this tree that is worshipped for generations, and you eat of the bark of the tree, and it, it relieves ailments, but only if you pray to the tree and the gods. All right. Well, what's going on here? Well, there's aspirin, the active ingredient of aspirin in the bark. Okay? So as a scientist, I can, I can be reductionist and say, just extract the ingredients and just take that and leave out the praying and the tree and everything else. But if you don't know that or you don't care it still has this benefit, even if the whole framework of it is, has no foundation in what is objectively true. So can we say that the manipulation of the spine can have some benefit, whether or not it's a chiropractor doing it or somebody who likes, you know, popping your muscles, you know, or whatever, cracking your back, you know, in, in a therapeutic way, which I used to do for my sister all the time. So that's my, I'm just pushing back on, can there, that doesn't mean it still can't be beneficial, does it? I thought you were saying, don't see a chiropractor, just have some aspirin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but interestingly, you're not too far away from the truth because if, if chiropractic works for anything at all, it might be in relieving some instances of lower back pain. But mm. It's no more effective than taking an aspirin, taking a, taking a Tylenol or going for a walk or having some bed rest, right? And but maybe we just like people's hands touching our bodies. And and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. And homeopathy is very popular, not because the not because the drugs that they are prescribing actually do anything, but because they get you know average of eight minutes um, with your normal primary care provider, you get twenty minutes with a homeopath uh, with a homeopathic doctor. So you're you're actually getting more time. You're actually getting the one one to one. And um, 
and, and it's Interesting. that kind of pastoral care that, that you're actually benefiting from. Which is the role nurses have played forever, yeah. right? Ooh, the right. little exactly. extra care that you get. It kind and of that's makes not to be scoffed sense. At. It, it makes sense. It's like going for massage therapy. Like when you go for massage therapy, a lot of it is the experience. It isn't just yeah. the massage. It's, right, the, right. it's the soothing music that they're playing, the little fountain that's in the corner of the massage no, the, the, the trickling of water. Right. Uh, the, uh, the little bonsai tree that you're looking at as, <laughs> as you're getting rubbed down, you know? Right, and, right. you know? And you walk away and you're like, oh my God, that was so good. It's so therapeutic. But the truth is, if you walked into the same room, the lights were super bright. Right? Yeah, they, hospital lights. They had yeah, hospital all right. lights. Uh-huh. They had metal music playing, and they had a guy with a cigar in his mouth, like, hey, how you doing? Come on, <laughs> lay down here and let me get to work. I, uh, you, you wouldn't come out of that experience feeling the same way. Even though the muscles were received the, the, the same, same pressure in the same way. Right. All right. So Chuck sounds like he's done some experiments there. <laughs> the, real, the real question is if you had some kind of, if you had a broken leg or you had some kind of, uh, you know, a real medical problem. Mm-hmm. Trauma, prefer, trauma injury, especially. Yeah, yeah. a real, a tra- you know, some kind of traumatic injury. Would you prefer to go to to the to the massage therapist who's going to give you a nice relaxing treatment but isn't really going to be able to help you with your broken leg? Or would you prefer to, I mean, it's a bit of a false dichotomy, but would you, <laughs> or would you prefer to go to the heavy metal music, bright light clinical room with the guy smoking the cigar who's actually going to be able to fix your leg and help the problem? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, without a doubt. It's, I see what you're saying. It really comes down to uh, evidence-based results is kind of everything that you're dealing with. What, are, what is the evidence-based result of, of what is measurable and what we can, you know, confirm? And yeah. This is what the man does. Yes, it doesn't exist. <laughs> well, and, and also, these things are not, are not benign either. You know, chiro- all, yeah. all medical treatments come with risks, right? No. And physicians mm-hmm. will balance... The, the benefits of the thing with the risks of the thing, and then they'll make a, a risk-to-benefit analysis. Gotcha. If there are people the who've been harmed by chiropractors that have, have bunched Many. together. Yeah. Ooh, and, yeah, and when the, yeah. When the yeah. benefits hinge on placebo, the risks can't be justified. And then you see chiropractors oh, doing point. neonate chiropractic where they're manipulating the spines of babies. Oh, and, you know, a, a, Yeah, a, a, a newborn Ooh. baby got Ooh. its neck broken not too long ago because oh. the chiropractor was... Ooh. I blame the parents. I'm sorry. I don't blame the chiropractor. <laughs> I blame the parents. Nobody <laughs> right. should be taking their baby to a chiropractor. What baby is so stressed out or is is lifting, Pussy, is they, lifting they ain't things got- so heavy that it needs a chiropractic session? Plus, they don't. They barely have bones exactly. yet. They're all cartilage still. I've never seen a baby that was inflexible. Like, they, <laughs> well, the baby no, said, I got lower back pain. Can I? Can I? Oh, my, oh, my back is killing me. Wow. Uh, my rheumatism. My rheumatism. Oh, oh wow, wow. <laughs> Toddler, it's got That's crazy. You've only got to see one of these videos pop up on your social, social media feed, and then you realize this, this, thing's, this thing's nuts. This, this shouldn't be allowed to go ahead. Right, I, I just right. have to scroll past it. I can't watch those things. Oh. Well, Nick, this has been a delight. Yeah. I mean, an upsetting delight, but yeah. a delight to have you on. <laughs> what a sour uh, note to finish on. Oh, I know. No. Give us, give me, give me a po- fast positive thought to finish on here. What's, what is the, is the future bright? Well, let's put it this way: we're all in control of our own destiny to a certain extent, and whatever your health and wellness goals, uh, it's it's a sad truth. You have to accept it. Like it's it's going to take time and it's going to take some effort. As soon as you digest that fact and get that into your head 
regardless of what it is in health and wellness or outside of health and wellness, you can achieve those things. A little bit corny, a little bit cliche. It just takes time and effort. Just put in the time and effort and you can do it. You can achieve it. And if we taught, let me put it out there, if we taught um, healthy scientific skepticism as a branch of learning in school, then we would nip this in the bud and it would have never reach this state to begin with. Is mm -hmm. that a fair Look at that. Absolutely. Point? And and doing and skepticism and critical thinking is doing the heavy lifting, right? It's, yes, it's yes, yes. Thing. All right, guys. We got to call it quits there. Nick, it's been great to have you. How do we find you on social media? Primarily, I, I'm on Twitter at NBTiller and you can find out more about my work on my website, nbtiller.com. N-B, letter N, enter, letter B, Tiller. Yeah, T-I-L-L-E-R. Yeah, Tiller. Okay, we'll, we'll look for you. Uh, uh, thanks for being on the show and your and your book. Uh, t tell me the title again, the full title. The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science: Confronting Myths of the Health and Fitness Industry. Yeah, there it is. That's that's the whole that, that's a great title. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, dude, for being on the program. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Another episode of Star Talk Sports Edition. Keep looking up. Suffering from aches and pains? The all-new Tempur-Pedic Adapt Mattress eases your pressure points all night, every night. Now, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets at TempurPedic.com. Select adjustable mattress sets only. Lesser savings may apply. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells... Amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick.